Welcome to the Audit Podcast, the number one podcast for the audit profession. Be sure to check the show notes for all of our social media channels and to sign up for the Audit Podcast newsletter. Now, here's your host, Trent Russell. This podcast is sponsored by Green Skies Analytics, where they do everything tech-related, but only for internal audit. Although compliance and risk management, y'all are cool too, so feel free to check it out also. To find out more, please visit greenskiesanalytics.com, but it's more likely that you're just going to Google it. So to find out more, please Google Green Skies Analytics. This podcast is also brought to you by AuditBoard, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. AuditBoard's integrated suite of easy-to-use audit, risk, and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit, SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with AuditBoard's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit AuditBoard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see AuditBoard's award-winning platform in action today. Today we have Dan Clark on the show. Um, Dan is the author of Dare to Be Different, an auditor's personal guide to excellence, uh, which is kind of how I got to know Dan before actually getting to know Dan through the show. Um, but just in reading his book, there was a lot of different perspectives and ideas and challenging what we typically do. And that's something that I very much appreciated from Dan's book and Dan's perspective. And then also seeing it on LinkedIn through his commentary and his posts and comments and things like that just how much he challenges what the audit profession is and what we do and how we should uh, maybe to interpret things or see things differently so that's a big reason that dan came on and one of those things that we talk about is how audit is no longer about insight it's about foresight and you know as you probably know the standards say that we part of what we should be doing in audit is providing insight so dan kind of uh, challenges that thought and uh, says that it should be more about foresight and, and give some actual takeaways on how to actually do that. And we also reference uh, something else from Dan's book, and that's his circle of influence. Um, he talks about having a regulator, a risk manager, a technician, a CEO, those types of people in your, your circle to kind of bounce ideas off of. But then he offers some other suggestions on the types of maybe personalities or professions to have in your personal circle of influence that I found really, really interesting. We also talk about where we're going to be a year from now in the audit profession and appreciated Dan's insight there. And probably one of my favorite parts of this one was asked Dan, what is a, like a commonly held belief within the audit profession that he disagrees with? And I probably should have just asked that question at the beginning of the show and then sat down and let Dan go for, you know, 30 minutes to an hour or whatever, because there's a lot of good stuff in there. So be sure to check that out. Um, the last thing we kind of talk about is how to influence management without the audit report. Here we go. I know one of the things that we talked about was from reading your book that we mentioned dare to be different an auditor's personal guide to excellence. One of the things that stuck out to me, one of the many things, really when I read it, I thought, I want to ask him about that. And that was this idea that you mentioned of audit no longer being about insight, it's about foresight. And for the listeners, you know, insight is part of, you know, it's listed in the standards, you know, that we provide insight. That's part of what we do. So to say that we, you know, it should be about foresight, um, I found really interesting. I know you have some, some kind of some, some bullet points on what that means and, and how to do that. So I just want to get your thoughts on what you mean by that. And then, 
you know, some actionable steps. So if someone just listens to the first 10 minutes of this and this is all they hear, they can go back and say, this is what I can do uh, to do that. So I just kind of want to get your thoughts on that. You know, that's, that's an interesting point. It was, it was funny. It was kind of an epiphany for me when I first kind of dawned on me and I was talking to a friend and she had mentioned, she said, you know, I hear a lot about insight, but no one ever talks about foresight. And so we talked about what insight was and what it wasn't. And, and I think I came to the realization that in most instances, and while the standards for auditors say that we should provide insight, we have very limited insight to provide. And the reason we have very limited insight to provide is because we haven't experienced firsthand working in the line, number one, or working in the business proper. We have looked from a outside looking in at a number of different processes, risk, uh, organizations function so we know something about them but something doesn't promote insight so rather than fight that battle which I will never win because everybody believes they have that magical insight we talked more about foresight which was a combination of having enough ability to understand something to be able to um, predict the probability of certain events occurring if behaviors don't change. Mm -hmm. So it, it's different than being a psychic and closing your eyes and saying, this is gonna happen. It's actually looking at data and experience and saying, I've seen this before. If we don't change this behavior, this is going to occur. And auditors don't do that very much. And I'll, I'd argue with anyone that auditors have a better chance of providing valuable foresight than they do insight. Simply because they've seen a lot of things, they've experienced a lot of events and they know and they can actually link things together, which is a behavior one, behavior two, behavior three is gonna get you to behavior four or event number five. They do that exceptionally well. And I think we're missing the boat in the audit business because we don't do that. We're so focused on other stuff that we're really missing an opportunity to provide value to our clients by providing foresight. Yeah, and you, and you mentioned it being, you mentioned data being in there. And I know that's one thing that I liked about, you, you list, I think five kind of bullet points on how to do or what it means to, to provide foresight and kind of how to do it in the book. And number three is the one that stuck out to me the most because it was analytics. And that's the, the role that I play with internal auditors is analytics is foresight is it analytics driven or is that just a piece of it? Um, do you have to have analytics to do that? You know, that's a great question. I think it can be both. Uh, I think you can use data. If you use data correctly, it can be predictive for you and can, pro can provide uh, some foresight as far as data. The missing caveat to that, I would say, is the emotion. And that's the humanity of how data is applied. Data can tell you something, but what you do with that data is really the more predictive factor in, in the foresight equation, if you will. So I think you can do both, but I would not rely on data to be the, the sole predictor because you can't include human reaction and behavior in the data typically. Yeah. Okay. And, and then, so something else from the book that I thought was interesting and I kind of laughed at, which I read, and I told you this when we talked initially was, there's not a whole lot of books that when you read them, you laugh, you know, like it's hard to get someone or, or myself anyway, to read something, even if it's written by a comedian or something, like it's hard to get that off of, you know, off the paper. But one of the things um, that I thought was 
humorous in the book was you talk about this having this circle of influence membership um the idea being that you have different perspectives from from people that you can kind of lean on and and the way i see it is uh like almost like your little mini mastermind group like we can't be experts in everything Mm -hmm. so we lean on other people get their perspectives and most of these were of no surprise you say you know a regulator and you know depending on your industry someone you know a regulator is good to have a risk manager a ceo um, various technical people that you can reach out to and get their, you know, opinions, thoughts, and things like that. And then you mentioned a mechanic, a <laughs> successful waiter or waitress, and an artist. And I kind of played the which one of these is not like the other one game, and those are the three that stood out. So I was I'm interested in in why you listed those specifically um, as far as having in your your circle of influence. Yeah, that's actually the Mensa test that I put in the book so that people can look and say, what doesn't belong? (laughs) Uh, Actually, I'm very much a person. My personality type is to look at alternatives and to look at other things that kind of don't relate and find the relationship. And what I have learned in life in my own way is that everything is related and everything is a process. Those are two things that I just believe without a doubt. the reason I say a mechanic, a artist, and a waitress is because what audit does is we look at process and we look at risk and controls. And usually when we look at risk and controls, we're looking at processes and where process we have weaknesses have manifested themselves. We provide solutions. And at times when we're looking at risk, we need to look at alternative solutions to what's being given because at times we are not the most astute business managers in the world because we just haven't had that opportunity to manage business Mm -hmm. and fail. And you learn a lot from failure. Uh, So if I can take just a minute, the the waitress is a mass, a good waitress is or waiter is a master or master. Masters, masters, uh, masters process. She has to take it. She has to greet somebody, take an order, get a sense of what they really want, take it back somewhere else, make sure it's cooked properly, bring it out, deliver and handle complaints. So she's a mini business all to herself. They typically do it with a smile. They do it hours after hours and they have, and it's their livelihood. There's things we can learn from how they manage that process, especially when they have complaints. So that's why I always have a waiter or a waitress in my group of of people. A mechanic is a great problem solver. A mechanic, if he's really good or she's really good, they they can sense a problem. They can go right to it and then they know exactly what happened to cause that problem and they fix it. So it saves you money, saves you time, it's effective cost-effective, process-effective, and time-effective, why would you not want to have someone on there to learn the discipline of recognizing a problem and fixing it? Mm-hmm. And the artist is obvious to me. Artists think in, they, they think in a complete different world. Um, but it's a complete different world that has no boundaries. And at times, auditors are driven by boundaries. I can't say this. I can't write that. It's really not this. It's always been this way. The the, uh, standards say I have to do it a certain way. By the way, the standards do not say you have to do things a certain way. Uh, Tradition has always said we do it this way. My boss makes me look at it like this. 
you need to have someone out there that can just give you another perspective come from completely left field that makes you think, could I do this differently? And that's why I would encourage anyone to have those kind of people involved in their circle. Yeah. And to that, I would say, you know, when, when I read about people um, creating their circle of influence or their own mastermind group, or um, like if you could have anybody in there, it's not just physically someone to talk to. It's, it's also, you know, the books that you read and who those people are, who you follow on social media. So if I could throw a plug in to you for you right now, it would be like, if you want that other side, if you're listening and you want that kind of uh, other side, a different perspective, Dan's thoughts that he puts out there on LinkedIn are pretty fantastic. It's how I got introduced to him and his book and which kind of led to having him here today um, was some of what I'd seen out there that, that you had written that challenged, you know, normalcy, you know, that, you know, why are we even doing it like that? And that's something that we get kind of pushed to do. Like, that's probably the question. I know when I was an external audit that we were never, you know, the answer could never be, that's the way we did it last year. And, you know, why do we do this? Well, that's how we did it last year. That was never an acceptable answer. Uh, story for another day. I did answer a question like that my second year. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, the senior manager let me know very quickly that that was unacceptable. So um, that's something that I, I, that I appreciate about you is that you do look at things differently and that you do, you know, we hear you should challenge it. We shouldn't do what we always did, but you do it and you put it out there for others to see. And it's one of those things, you know, maybe I'll see something that you wrote and just sit there and go, yeah, never thought about that before. So um, a quick plug for you, uh, check out Dan because he's, he's a good follow um, on LinkedIn. So um, thank you for that. I yeah, appreciate absolutely. that. Absolutely. So something else I want to talk about is, so here we are now, late 2020. Let's say that you come on the show again one year from now. What, what are we going to be talking about then? You know, I'd like to say something really dramatic and uh, progressive, hmm. but I, I, I'm going to I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to say we're going to be talking about the same old tired stuff. Yeah. And I'll give you a good example. About three years ago, I wrote I did write one of those opinion pieces, if you will, on the three lines of defense. And I said, you know, it's a long time coming, but we need to look at the three lines of defense and auditor's best value is not always coming in at the end and telling you, you did something wrong. Their best value is actually to be in the front and helping people implement the right controls to begin with and make sure those controls work as they're being implemented, make sure the policies are written completely as they're being written, that kind of thing. And we didn't do that. Three years later, which was like earlier this year, <clears throat> excuse me, this year, the IAA finally came around and said, hey, maybe we need to rethink this three line of defense. The fact that it takes us three years to even think about revisiting and they didn't go far enough. I, I appreciate what they did, but I don't think they questioned it enough. And I really do believe you can be independent and help. So we still have a ways to go. So to your question, not a lot's going to happen. People are going to get caught up right now in how do I work remotely? How do I make sure I get my issues to management? How do I get a job? How do I make sure that the audit committee listens to me? How do I do something besides assurance? We're all focused on tactical things. Mm -hmm. Nothing will change that will really impact the industry of audit and the profession of audit the way it could for another three or four years. 
But I'll tell you one thing that really I'm excited about. I'm seeing more and more people on LinkedIn and in the conferences and in trainings that I give actually questioning and asking what can we do differently. So I think we're gonna, we're on the cusp of something really fun, but the COVID and the quarantine and all the stuff that's going on has kind of stopped that or slowed it down for a yeah. bit. But I'd encourage everybody to keep those thoughts going, move forward and keep progress, be, be progressive in what we do. Hey everyone, thank you for continuing to listen to the show. We wanna say thank you again to our sponsors over at Audit Board, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. Audit Board's integrated suite of easy to use audit risk and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit, SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with Audit Board's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit auditboard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see Audit Board's award-winning platform in action today. Yeah, it's kind of a, a punch in the gut when, you know, you ask, hey, what do you, you know, uh, you come back a year from now, what are we going to be talking about? And the kind of answer you would expect is, oh, we'll be talking about getting over COVID and next steps post-COVID. We've been talking about what to do during COVID and, and all that kind of stuff that I expected. And instead you say, oh, we're going to be talking about the exact same thing. So it's kind of a, you know, it kind of hit me in the gut when you said that of like, we still have to, like, we're still not doing enough and we still have to do more. So um, I really, really appreciate that answer. What is a, a, a commonly held belief in the audit profession? I know you call it an audit business, I believe, in the audit business um, that you disagree with. Oh, there are several. <laughs> and it's not that I disagree with them. I, I think I disagree with the impact that they have and the way they're presented. For example, um, Actually, let me rephrase that. I don't, I don't disagree with them. I disagree with how auditors are interpreting them. Oh, yeah. Well, That's yeah. what I disagree with. Yeah. And I'll talk about independence as a big factor. I talk to a lot of auditors and they say, I can't, be, I can't get too engaged with my business because I have to be independent. I have to be objective. They use all these nice words. So I have my office somewhere. I look at information, but I don't participate the way that I could or the way that uh, you, would you would like me to. Independence is a character issue, and that's the only issue it is. It's not an org chart issue. Yet 90% of the auditors I talk to believe it's an org chart issue. I can't go to parties with my clients. I can't take them to lunch by myself. I can't support them in something they're doing because I'm an auditor. I have to be independent. The character issue of independence comes from understanding and having data and information upon which you can make an objective decision. Auditors believe by staying away from certain activities, they can't do that. <clears throat> For example, I, t I encourage auditors to get involved in the first line of defense, which is helping people design process and implement processes that are well designed. I believe auditors should help review policies in their draft state, not at the end state. A lot of auditors can push back and say, I can't do that. I don't write policy. And I highlight to them in my very nice, sensitive way, reviewing and writing are two different things. And there's a dictionary right over there if you'd like care to look at it. Uh, I think we get caught up in the, the, the dressing of being an auditor 
versus the influence we could have by doing things. So independence is one of those that's misunderstood by 90% of the auditors out there. And that's what I disagree with. And there are others. The risk assessment is another one. A risk assessment is a point in time opinion of, that somebody has based on their limited experience of some risk and some control. That's all it is. Yet auditors believe risk assessments are God's gift to audit, to business, and everybody should have one for every single thing. And I don't agree with that. I don't agree with audit ratings. I think ratings are prejudicial and it, it induces the wrong behavior. And if you eliminate ratings, you'll actually have much more meaningful con conversations and get more done. So we could go down the list. There's a lot of things that just don't seem to work but they are what they are. So with the risk assessment, what is the, how do you use it or how would you use it? What's the, you know, we all have them. Um, what should we be doing with them? How should we be thinking about them? I think the risk assessment is a, is a wonderful tool if used correctly. Uh, it's kind of like the English language. It really works well if we use the right words. <laughs> um, I use the risk assessment in three different ways. The first way I, I use what we call a risk profile, which is an organizational level risk assessment. It would be the parent company and all the subsidiaries, the mother and the branches, whatever it is. And I looked at the risk at a high level for the organization. That risk assessment I utilized, I did it every year and I utilized that to tell me where I needed to focus my audit hours for my audit team wasn't in process or transactions, it was in risk. If, I need, if the organization had the highest degree of risk in credit, we spent the highest degree of our hours in credit. And so we do that. So the second, the second area, I used it for the planning of the audit annual plan. So we have the, the broad scope of the organization. I now know what the bottom feeds the top and the top feeds the bottom. That's a risk profile. I then do a risk matrix for my plan, which says, okay, now that I know I'm gonna do credit or operations or compliance, what, in the, what are the risk drivers in each of those areas that I need to focus on? And so that's where that risk assessment process comes in. And then the third one is for the audit itself. Whichever engagement I do, I will do a risk assessment of the processes I have selected to tell me at that point in time, what is the status of risk and controls? And do we have any evidence that the controls are working or not? And can I rely on that evidence? So I have three levels of risk assessment. I use them for all different purposes. And that's the purpose I use. That's all I use them for, nothing else. Yeah. All right. And then something else I want to talk to you about was uh, kind of a hot topic lately has been audit reports. Uh, almost like, do we need them? I know there's, there's catchy headlines like death of the audit report and things like that. Um, I'm of the opinion that depending on the message that needs to be sent or, or who's needing to be influenced and because of what reasons that certain mediums work better than others. So it might just be a face-to-face -face conversation as opposed to an audit report, depending you know, on the sensitivity of the, the conversation. Um, and so I know a topic that you and I have talked about that I wanted, to, wanted you to share with the listeners was how to influence management without an audit report. So that's you know, typically that's our end product is the audit report. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on how we can influ influence management without the audit report. Well, that's an interesting question because I think there's two, two aspects to it. One is 
the, the audit report itself and the other is influencing management. I don't see them as necessarily having to be together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that we are required by our very essence of auditors to opine on something. And we are often required to have that documented somewhere. So you need to document your opinion. When you actually do some work and it's assurance work and you're, you're attesting to something that needs to be documented. It can be documented in a lot of ways. You can call a report whatever you want, but it needs to be documented. So you can have a report, you can have a memo, you can have a white paper, you can have uh, a, a blog, you can have a, uh, a, a photo, whatever you want to do, you need to document your opinion somewhere. The ability to influence needs to be done outside of a report. I have yet to see a report that influences. I have a, I've seen, no, I take that back. I've seen a couple reports that influence. I've seen the value of a report as, as we see it in audit today is that it relates information to somebody. It seldom influences people to change behavior uh, unless it's a negative rating. And a lot of people get in trouble because you have a, a failure of a process or you have a negative rating. That will, behave, that will cause behavior change. But a satisfactory needs improvement or an almost satisfactory type of audit rating or report does little to change behavior and it doesn't influence the change that auditors could provide. The greatest influence that I have seen comes from conversations with people outside of the realm of on the record. So off the record conversations are the most influential and they are most influential because neither person takes themselves too seriously Mm -hmm. and you don't have the formality of I'm the auditor, you're the somebody else. So I have to watch what I say. You can actually share your opinion of something and the value of an opinion is opinion tends to be more emotional and driven by experience and personal feeling than an audit report does or an audit conversation. You tend to be more guarded, more professional. You don't say what you really feel. When you can have a real human conversation, you can influence people and you influence them by what the angst that you have or the passion that you have with what you believe. And that's what drives and influence change. At least that's what I have seen. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's, you know, how I, my generation is supposed to be email driven and text driven, um, but, I can't really get as much done doing that. And I also just hate writing emails for the most part because Mm -hmm. I overanalyze them so much. Um, I much prefer just to pick up the phone and call somebody. Um, Even, you know, thinking about the the formality of an email. um, If you can just pick up the phone and talk to them, it's a lot more, obviously it's conversational. And um, so even, even just something as simple as picking up the phone or picking up, I don't know, Zoom or whatever now. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's better, better in that sense. Um, I did want, I was curious, you're talking about audit reports and there's been a few that, that you said, uh, would influence a change or something to that effect. What about the idea of visualizations? Um, we'll just say graphs and charts, but you know, like when we, when we do an analysis and show the results in a visualization and you can see visually the, the stance of this or the, the state of a control or something like that. Have you, have you seen that be effective? Is that something that 
that you and your teams have utilized in the past that you've seen be effective? Yeah, there, there are two things that, that have set apart some reports, if you will. And I use the word report just as a, a pieces of paper put together to report something out. One, the audit team, act, and it wasn't my audit team, it was another audit team, and I thought it was fantastic. They were doing a, a premises audit, and they actually took pictures of where the problems in the premises were, and they put that in the audit report. Yeah. They didn't have to write anything. The picture was right there. And you look at it and you say, why would anyone, I mean, you can't even argue against it. You just say, here it is fix it. Uh -huh. And it was, it was visually impactful. The pictures were good quality. It, nothing was doctored. It was all right there. And it was in the report. And it was the evidence for the issue that they needed to have resolved. I thought that was great. Uh, the second report that I saw, and this one, an audit committee president told me it was the most dramatic and best report he had ever seen. And it was a consultative review. It had no rating. It was done collaboratively with the client and they did a comparative analysis of industry to this organization's practice in a certain area of work. And all of the data that they had gathered out in the industry to bring to bear for an audit, for a management team to look at and say, look, here's what's going on in the industry in this area. We don't think you need to do all of that stuff, but you at least should be doing this stuff and this is where you sit today. So they had three different measurements in it and they had a matrix that was developed and they showed what the organization did. They showed what the standard was and they showed what some of the experts were doing. And the management could look at that and decide what they wanted best. So kind of like a maturity matrix, mm -hmm. they could look at it themselves and say, I don't need to be here. I only need to be there. My audit, my, audit, uh, my audit connection that told me about the report and the committee chairman said what it did for him was able, the committee was able to ask senior management, why aren't we doing the best practice? Why are, so the conversation changed and that caused people to be influenced differently. So those are the two different versions that I've seen that have really, really have paid uh, really pay dividends okay. for the yeah. audit teams. And those are unique and different. So I appreciate you sharing that, um, sharing those with us. That's pretty much it for me. Is there anything else that you want to share with the listeners? I think that, and I'll, I'll talk about uh, my book, Dare to be Different. It's been out for about two years now, and I've got some really good reviews on it. But one of the things I've noticed is that the IIA and, and a lot of the other institutes out there uh, that provide training and development focus a lot on group think and group training. And that's important. We need to have the technical skills. We need to be able to do our jobs. My book focuses on the individual. And I think there's a lot of, I, I know there's a lot of outstanding, outstanding auditors out there. A lot of people who really want to be good professionally. I I believe that my book does something that no one else does out there, and the IIA certainly doesn't do it. Uh, some of the other training sessions don't focus on it. It's alternative ways of doing your job and being the best that you can be. There's nothing wrong with being number one. In fact, Trent, I will tell you the easiest thing to be in this world is to be the best. Hmm. And the reason it's easy is because most people don't want to put in the effort to do that. And they're satisfied with just being at the top of the heap. But the top of the heap doesn't necessarily mean you're the best. I firmly believe we need to be the best. 
and being the best auditor, there's a pathway to do that. And I would, I love when my, when my auditors did something wonderful and felt good about it. And that's what I kind of drive in, in my blogs and what I talk about my webinars is all about the individual auditor being the best that they can be. And I hope the people will strive for that. I really do. I know they won't, most of them won't. Um, as I said, the easiest thing is to be the best because you don't have a lot of competition, but I would hope that we all try and strive for it. I certainly can't say that any better than you did. So I think with that, that's a show. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Thanks a ton for coming on, Dan. Thank you, I appreciate it a lot, Trent. Hey everyone, thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Audit Podcast. Whatever platform you're listening on right now, I'm sure there's a subscribe button somewhere, so please hit the subscribe button there. If you're listening through iTunes or Spotify, feel free to go give us that five-star rating. It only took me about 16 seconds to give myself a five-star review. And it really helps to get future guests to come on the show. So we'd really appreciate that. Lastly, be sure to check out the show notes and follow us on all our social media channels on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and on TikTok. Also, if interested, please sign up for our weekly newsletter from The Audit Podcast. Thank you all. Have a great one.